loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then to love your neighbor as yourself is not something which comes easy to us. We tend to want to be like cavemen and go out with clubs and beat one another down and only love one another when it's convenient. However, this commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself, they are fundamental and they are foundational to Christian living and having a biblical worldview. God wants us to have aspirations and not be trapped in the pits of life or do the work of digging more pits that we might fall into. This begins with how we love God and then it translates into how we interact with others. So today we're going to take a step back in history and look at a guy named Moses and not that Moses and not that long ago, only going about to the year 330, but let's move into all of that. So thank you for joining us. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor and there is one other with me here in the studio. Pastor Anthony Alegria. And Pastor Anthony, would you go ahead and open up in prayer for us today? Yes, I will. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may the meditations of our hearts and the words of our pastor's mouth be pleasing in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So going all the way back to the year 330, there was a man named Moses, and he was born into Africa. And now, this guy, he grows up, and he's not just your run-of-the-mill guy. He's a big boy. And in fact, he's such a big boy that a lot of people look at him and realize that this guy, he's, he's kind of a bit scary. He's intimidating. He's massive in stature. And the carnal nature that runs in all of us, it comes upon this man, Moses, and he becomes a bit of a thief, a murderer, and a robber. And before long, everybody looks at him and says, hey, Moses, he's like the biggest of big boys out here, and he is the chief among the robbers. And Moses, this man, he spends years running a band of really just bad guys. They run around Africa. They're doing a whole lot of bad stuff. They pillage. They plunder. They murder. They commit all sorts of terrible sins, and they are quite a nuisance to society. Well, something happened. One day, Moses, he's going to, he's going to rob this, probably a farmer or something like that. We don't really know for sure, but he's going to rob and pillage and plunder this man's house. But the guy's got a dog. And dogs, they have been efficient security systems for a long time. And the dog comes out barking, and Moses realizes that he's out there by himself. He's probably not going to fare so well, even though he's a really big guy, against like a whole township of people. So he decides that he's going to jump into a stream and run away and basically hide and wait for a while, and then he'll come back and pillage this town. Well, Moses, he does this, and he's cut off from the rest of his bandits, and he finds himself hiding out in a monastery. And now the monks who are there, they look at this man, and when he comes in, they say, whoa, this is a big dude. We don't need to mess with him. And after some time, they say, we're, we're not going to, like, fight him. We're, we're a little reserved about him, but we are going to let him stay with us here in this monastery. And they had love, and they had compassion for Moses. And he himself, like all of us, he, he kind of wants answers for things in life. He used to go out in the, the wilderness and look up to the sun and wonder if the sun was God. And when he was there in the monastery, the monks had compassion on him, and he ends up giving his life over to the Lord and paying penance and staying there in the monastery. Well, again, Moses the Black, he is a big, big guy. And so he spent some years over in this monastery. He does some different things, but one day happens when all of those bandits that he used to run with, they decide they are going to rob the monastery where Moses is at. So they come and they do this, and Moses, being the big boy that he is, he goes and he kind of manhandles them. He picks them up, slams them on the ground, and ties them all up, and then drags them inside the monastery. 
Now, he's not planning on doing any violence to him, but again, he's a, he's a big guy, so he knows how to, to sort all this out. So he has all these men, he has them tied up, and he goes to the other monks and he says, what are we going to do with this? We know that the commandment of Jesus is to love as one loved us. He says, you know, I came to this monastery and you all loved me and I found transformation. What should we do with all these guys? I mean, this is just an awesome scene because here you've got one of the biggest of big boys who's just drug in all of these bandits who came to steal, pillage, and plunder. He ties them up, and he kind of has a moment a bit like David, where David goes into Saul and he cuts off his robe and says, Look, I had this opportunity to kill you, but I didn't because I love you. I want to have compassion on you. That's what Moses the Black does. He rounds up these bad boys, ties them all up, drags them inside of the monastery, and he brings the other monks in and says, What are we going to do about this? I know that we're supposed to be loving like Christ loved us. And so they make the decision that they say, well, we're going to preach to them. And of course, it's one thing to, to be preached to on a, a regular Sunday, but these guys are kind of tied up in there and they're given an ultimatum. They say, well, look, we're not going to do anything to you. We're not going to harm you. We'll, we'll let you go free. But if you want, you can stay here with us. And they put a choice on these guys' life. They say, if you want to be transformed, just like your old bandit leader Moses was, you can we're not going to do anything to harm you. We'll let you go for You can go back to the way of death that you are already on. The consequences of your actions, they're out there. God will have that judgment. But if you want transformation, you can stay here with us. And so these monks, or these bandits, they choose to become monks. And they do that, and they stay there with Moses. And it's a fascinating story because, again, we see someone who is loved by these monks, and he had transformation, and then he turns around and does the same thing for those others. And in this, we are reminded about how important it is for us to love our neighbor as ourselves. because Moses, he looks at the world. Again, he's a big guy. He has the power. This is true meekness. You know, he has the ability to rip people apart limb from limb. Um, he's, he's that big of a dude. But he has the compassion of Christ that says, you're going to face judgment from God, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to face transformation. If you want to accept Christ, come here and join us. So these guys do that, and they become part of the monastery. Now, years pass. Um, eventually, Moses, he goes from just being a monk. He actually gets ordained as a priest, and he goes to serve in a colony. And one day when he's older in life, actually, I think, let's see, he died in 405, so 330 to 405. He's, you know, somewhere around 75 years old, which is not the prime of one's age to go out and being in the middle of battle. But... Moses, when he's about 75 years old, he's the priest of this town, and there's a bit of a chapel there and things, and there's all these baddies coming to pillage, steal, and destroy in his colony, and Moses realizes that something must be done. So he sends all the people in the colony away, and he descends down into the, to the basement where he's at and pulls out his sword and says, I'm going to, to defend my people to, to the death so that they will be able to escape. And that's how Moses ends up... Um, his life when he, he dies, but his whole life is a testimony of somebody who is definitely like a top dog, big guy out there. He's, he has the ability to be athletic, the ability to be really a champion warrior. He had the ability to be one of the most menacing villains that existed in that part of Africa, but he was transformed by Christ, and he decided in the end, even though I don't want to be somebody of violence, God laid down his life for me, and I need to be willing to lay down my life for my community so that they can survive, that they can get away. 
He made the decision there in the end, just as Christ loved me enough to die, I need to be a protector. There's an attack coming to rape, pillage, and plunder and kill all of my village. I need to protect these people and give them an opportunity to flee, just as Christ gave me an opportunity for hope and salvation myself. And that's how his life ends. Um, but the story of this is beautiful because this is an example of one who is loving God, and they start with that. And then that translates into how they relate with the world around us. If we look at the world around us, there are so many forces which tempt us to behave carnally. Um, I imagine when Moses' his comrades came back up and he had him bound up and brought him into the monastery, there's probably several of them that said, Moses, why are you in here? Like you could have riches and things untold. We could be overthrowing villages and things. Why are you here with these monks taking vows of poverty? Why don't you want to come back with us? There's all kinds of things in the world that want to tempt us to behave carnally. But we must acknowledge that anything that deviates from God's design for men and women will create some degree of suffering in the world. And God does not want that for us. If we understand anything about the love of God, we must understand that he sent his son to save the world, not to condemn it. And this is a serious thing. This saving is a serious thing. And we must believe that a God powerful enough to die on a cross and resurrect from the dead is powerful enough to save us from whatever chaos or brokenness is found in our lives. Um, I'm going to ask Pastor Anthony to read for us out of Matthew chapter 22. And we're just going to read verses 34 through 40. Matthew chapter 22 verses 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love the na your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Often we underestimate just how much God loves us. We want to make arguments and say, how could a loving God ever permit a hell? Or we say something like, why would a loving God allow bad things to happen to good people and good things to happen to bad people? We read through scriptures and we find that some of its passages sting. For it is as if they are calling us out directly and pouring salt in the wounds of our specific sins. And we take all of these things, and they often make us uncomfortable, and we want to use them to formulate a theology where we believe that either God doesn't love us or these unpleasant scriptures must not be true. However, in truth, God loves us more than we can imagine. Furthermore, God has suffered more than we can imagine. Despite the fact that many of the scriptures sit uncomfortably with us, they are entirely true and have authority in revealing how God loves us. The scriptures that sting the most are important because they remind us of how serious God takes his love for us. The painful scriptures that call out our sins do not condemn us for being broken because God knows that we are broken. They instead remind us of where God wants to take us and how important it is that we turn our hearts over to him. Romans 8.1 reminds us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For so long we have shied away as people from the difficult text in scripture because we fear that they will turn people away because no one wants to hear them. But the truth is, no one has ever wanted to hear the serious message of Scripture. People have always felt the sting when they are reminded of the shortcomings of their lives, but that's not where God wants us to leave. And I can imagine that someone like Moses um, 
there in, in Egypt, St. Moses the Black, I don't think he probably wanted to hear that, you know, pillaging and plundering is bad. Maybe he did, but probably not. He probably likes the idea of being able to go around and do whatever you want because you're the biggest of big boys and you can just manhandle anyone who gets in your way. We, we like the ability to do that. And we look throughout his life and we see someone who was willing to surrender their natural state, not to some spirit of the age, not to some politician, not to some worldly thing, but he surrendered it over to God because he realized God wanted him to be something more than that. Now, that doesn't mean, again, that he, he just goes and he gives up doing anything meaningful and that he goes in a place of isolation and cuts himself off. He is still engaged in the world and he takes that love of God and then he applies it into how he interacts with others. I know Anthony was talking earlier that a lot of times when you see depictions of Moses the Black, he's holding something like a basket or a jar of water and that's kind of important to his story. Yeah, let... um, <clears throat> in the course of his life, I don't know if it was after he was ordained as a priest or not. But at one point, he's called to judge uh, the deeds of a fellow monk. I don't know what the um, what the crime of the fellow monk was, but some monk had committed something that was against the monastery, and uh, Moses the Black was called to uh, judge him as well. And he refused at first, but they insisted, and so he came on the day of the other of the other monk's judgment, <clears throat> and he came carrying a basket that was filled with sand and some stories say a jar that was filled with water and he came carrying that and whenever he arrived everyone was confused asking him why he was carrying this massive basket that was filled with sand and he said these are all the iniquities that I am carrying along with me that Christ has forgiven me for and so I don't know how I'm going to be able to judge my brother, but here I am. <clears throat> All the monks who came to judge the other monk forgave the other monk. Um, I don't know how the other monk responded to that forgiveness, but Christ does call us to love one another and to forgive our brother as many times as he comes to ask for an apology. One of the things which is fascinating about that is that Moses understands that we are called not to shy away from difficult text. And that Christian liberty is not about the freedom to do whatever you want, but it's freedom from your sin. And when he comes in and he has this judgment, he's saying, as a Christian, I have been forgiven for my sin, and this man must be forgiven for that as well. Now, that's a different thing from just saying no one should be held accountable to any standard. But instead, Moses comes and he has an aspirational way of living that says, instead of just leaving this guy in the pit, let's do as Christ did with us. Christ forgave us. We as well must free this man from that so that he can have aspirations, that he can be accountable to something greater than just life in the pit. Anthony? Well, um, if you think also, uh, Moses' story actually throughout his life is um, embodying the forgiveness of Christ. And so he was first converted by the monks who were basically in some sense forgiving him you know he was hiding out he had a bad reputation he was wanted and as he was running away from people the monks were willing to take him in and take care of him yeah. and basically were like look we understand that you committed crimes don't commit any more crimes and you can have forgiveness in us yeah and you know it was by that love that he accepted christ and was completely transformed into a totally other person so transformed that later when he has the opportunity when he's been wronged by his old friend robbers and those he loved had been wronged. <clears throat> he 
he sees them, looks on them, and though he captures them, he brings them to the judgment of the other monks, and all together, again, they forgive them. Yeah. They seeing that Moses the Black, being such a strong man, yet meek, forgave them, also converted and became monks. And so you can see that through the love of Christ and through forgiveness, they were transformed. And then later on, also, you see his story with the uh, the judgment of the fellow monk who committed some sort of crime. And again, you see the power of forgiveness. Yeah, so many times we think that <clears throat> forgiveness means that there is no accountability at all. But that's not the truth. You see, Moses realizes that in Christian in a Christian worldview, there is an accountability to something greater than where you are. Moses doesn't just come in and say, I forgive you and you can stay in the pit. If you want to do that, continue doing that. Because that's just freedom to, to continue sinning. Moses comes along saying, I want you to be accountable to something greater. This is an aspirational thing. You can be forgiven for that so that you are unchained from your past sin so that you can continue and you can move to a better place. And in Christianity, we must be honest about how the world works, and we must be honest about the fact that Christ does want to hold us accountable to a higher standard. We can be freed from our sin, but we are called to move towards sanctification, to be behaving Christ-like. You know, in the church, there are two things you can't do. You can't be advancing sin, and you can't be idle either. So when you are forgiven, that doesn't mean you just get to be idle or that you get to continue in sinning, but it means that you have been freed, and so that now you can truly accept the opportunity to live a holy life. Anthony, did you have any thoughts on that before we moved on? I was just going to say that, um, you know, he does overcome those robbers who um, <clears throat> were his old friends and who he forgave and were transformed. He doesn't just let them keep doing their thing. Oh, okay, you're robbing my monastery. I'll just let you do that. You know, I mean, he yeah. goes out, he probably gives them a, a good enough whipping to subdue them. Yeah. But he doesn't do what he could have done. You know, yeah. he could have tore him yeah, limb it, from limb. He could have left them outside to rot. And uh, he does the he WWE does, style <laughs> of of David and Saul in the cave. Um, he goes out there and picks them up, and you know, he gets them all hogtied and drags them in there, and says, "Now we're going to sort this out." They do. They are left in that place where they can make a choice. He says, "All right, we'll set you free, or you can accept Christ." I mean, either way, we're not going to like do any. We're not going to be the ones to judge you. They, it's amazing. They, they put it on the other robbers to choose what you want to be. Um, you're already on the way of death, so it's not up to us to, to you know, judge you in that way. But um, we are here to give, offer you a, the, the same forgiveness that was given to us. So an unfortunate truth about modern Christian culture is that we do want to shy away from things because we think you know, we'll be able to get new people in if we, we, we don't deal with the difficult sides of Scripture or we, we don't hold people accountable to a higher thing if we don't have aspirations. But the truth is, is all of this is a mistake. God wants us to love Him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And that requires a full commitment. It requires willingness to be fastened to God's design. Liberty in Christianity is not freedom to do whatever you want, for that freedom is found quite abundant in fallen creation. Liberty in Christianity is freedom from your sin and its consequences of eternal death and decay. An unfortunate truth about modern Christian culture is that many of our leaders, um, they have made the calculation that if we shy away from difficult passages, we can attract the young generation because it will be more comfortable for them. However, in doing so, we have failed to answer for the truth of fallen creation, and this calculation has led to a decline in church attendance rather than a growth. The truth is that no one in history of the 
No one in the history of the people of God really wanted to hear everything God has to say. You can go all the way back to our most ancient ancestors and find people want to pick and choose what God had to say. That's true of history. No one has ever naturally wanted to hear it all. Some of it is going to sting. And the reason why this is so important and why it relates to this commandment to love God with your heart, mind, and soul, and then to love your neighbor, and even the story of St. Moses the Black, is because we have to be honest about the world and honest about the fact that God wants us to go from being a robber out in the wilderness to be someone who is depressed, someone who is in the, the pits of chaos, whatever it may be. He wants us to go from that broken state to a righteous state where we are freed from our sins to do something that is greater. And the church must be honest about this because everyone knows that creation is fallen, whether they are going to say that out loud or not. And we have to realize that we are in, here in America, in the Western civilization, we are in a place of spiritual warfare where there is another rival belief system. I call it the spirit of the age. It's this revolutionary utopianism. You know, it takes on different names like socialism, social justice, whatever it may be. All of these ideas about creating a structure where you've basically got the Garden of Eden utopia again. This is selling to young people because this belief system is answering for fallen creation. It's going to the difficult place that so many times the church has not wanted to. But the truth is, is people want to wrestle with that. They want to be confronted by the monk in the monastery that says, make the choice. It's actually a lot easier to make that choice when you're forced to do it. People, they want to be Moses when he goes into the monastery and, you know, hey, I actually do have some big questions about this. Show me what you know about the bigger picture. People are interested in that. And if we take a, a moment and we be honest around the world around us, we, the church, it has the worldview to, to give the answers for why there is brokenness and sufferings. We look at tyrannies, injustices, miseries, and the consequences of the fall. The world that we have, that is, it is marred. It is not inside God's intended design anymore. The tragedies and wicked deeds of fallen creation, they can all be traced back to an absence of God's design. Something that has willfully created a pit, something that has gone into the pit, something that has slipped into the pit. All of it's outside of God's design. And I say all this because we should not be reserved about making biblical arguments or wrestling with scriptures that call out sinful behaviors because they are uncomfortable or might make some other people uncomfortable. Instead, we must accept them as aspirations of where God wants to take us. God knows that we're not capable of achieving holiness by ourselves. The truth of scripture is not that God came to condemn us, but that God came to save us. Moreover, he is serious enough about saving us that he wants us to be cut off from the things that perpetuate the miseries we encounter. God is serious enough about this to kind of grab us and say, look, make the choice. You can make the choice. I'm not sending someone out there to send you a nice letter, but I'm coming directly to you. It's not for whoever runs your territory or whoever the, the leader in your township is. It's not whoever the, the tribal leader, whatever charismatic leader you like to follow or watch on YouTube. The truth is, I'm coming directly to you. You as an individual can make the choice. I'm here. I've brought you into the monastery. You make the choice. We really must be honest about fallen creation because people naturally want an answer for fallen creation. And the church must rise to the occasion of helping people understand the truth of why there are injustices and sufferings in the world. And we must also be showing people what the only possible solution is. Injustices exist because of the carnal nature and our natural desire to sin. All moral wrongs can be answered for in this manner. 
In fact, when you look at the tragedies, things which don't come because of a immediate moral decision or even sometimes a decision made in this lifetime, we find that all the sufferings and injustices in the world, they are products of fallen creation and the world being taken outside of God's intended design. And again, this is not something where I'm talking about our intentions and how we act, but it's a matter of our nature and our limitations and the nature of fallen creation and its limitations. But when we look around right now, um, we'll find that people actually are very interested in being religious. But we are, at the same time, seeing what looks like a decline in Christianity because they're going elsewhere for religion. We find so many young people who are falling for socialism. And they do that because it answers for fallen creation. And rather than acknowledging the carnal nature, this form of a belief system, it manifests in different ways. And it says the, the source of suffering, and again, this is in socialism and other social belief systems, they'll pin the blame of suffering on systems, on groups of people, on power structure. They always do it on something other than the carnal nature, which runs in all of this. They'll, they'll classify it off and they'll say it's something else. But the truth is, it's the carnal nature that produces systems. It's the carnal nature that guides individuals and produces tyrants. We as the church must do the work of speaking the truth of fallen creation and how the alternative to the meaningless suffering in life is the kingdom of God. God's answer to fallen creation is to love him with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. This means that we allow ourselves to be held accountable to God, to accept the gift of salvation that will free us from the condemnation of our sins. To love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then to love your neighbor as yourself, is an aspirational way of living. It's built on this teaching that there is true liberty and there is hope out there, and you can have a better future. This love, it wants us to move beyond the frustrations that keep us from goodness on this side of Eden. We naturally don't want this. We naturally want to be like Cain who says, you know, I'd rather club down my brother. I'd rather, you know, pick up a stone. I'd rather do whatever sin it is that mankind has done over the last ever since Eden. <laughs> we would rather do that. We would rather be wicked and murderous and satiate our desires than ever to be considered our brother's keeper. But God, he knows of Cain's deed. He knows of all of our deeds. And God knows that the carnal nature makes us despise righteousness. It's natural for us to despise righteousness after the fall. This is human behavior, but it's not the human behavior that God desires for us. And the truth is our lives will be much better when we start from the premise of first loving God and then loving our brothers as we want to be loved. We don't want to be left in the pit. If you're someone who has a godly worldview, you know that that's not good for you. Now, there are a lot of times people who don't have that biblical worldview, they do want to be left in the pit. They think it's great. They say it's a wonderful party here. I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to worry with the issues outside of this. I don't have to be held to anything. But the truth is that God wants us to come and be relieved from that. He wants us to move to a better place. Jesus wants us to be liberated from the consequences of fallen creation. And that begins with a Christ-like life where we are not perpetuating the things that exaggerate and create suffering in fallen creation. We should always be asking ourselves, is what I'm about to do going to give glory to God? For Moses the Black, there when he dies, he realized that God was willing to lay down his life so that others could have a better future. And it's quite clear that God expects us to do the same thing. That's why he goes back into the depths of the chapel and he finds a sword that he hasn't used in many decades. And he brings it out again and says, 
I'm going to have to lay down my life so that my people, those that I minister to in this, this colony, that they will be saved. We should always be structuring our lives in such a way that we seek to benefit others and not to merely be concerned with ourselves. God wants us to be growing continually through our lives. He doesn't want us to be slipping down in the pits of life, but rising above them. And this can only happen if we're not behaving in a manner that keeps us in the pit or causes us to dig pits. Loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then your neighbor as yourself, is fundamental to Christ-likeness. Well, that's where we're going to end our, our message for today. Um, do check out some history on St. Moses the Black. He's a really, really fascinating guy. Anthony, do you have any final thoughts before we close in prayer? No. Would you like me to close? Sure. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to learn through the history of the church and that your Holy Spirit works through your disciples. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you that we have such examples set before us that we can know what your forgiveness and your love looks like in practice. Father, we pray that we can continue to live out your son's life through the Holy Spirit, that we can continue to love and forgive our neighbors. Lord, we pray that through that love and through that forgiveness, you might continue to transform the world into what you desire it to be, an orderly creation. Thank you, Father. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. Amen. And with that, God love you and have a blessed day.